I mean, I think the thing that I've, you know, really learned over in Tanzania was listening to the people that you're working with. Um, and I think that's, you know, again, something that we can continue to do more is in Australia, certainly, uh, you know, everywhere is continue to listen to our end beneficiaries and really partner with them to make sure that we're creating the impact that we want to. I mean, it's quite, you know, it's quite easy to sit in an office and think that you're having a really fantastic impact, but it's really about talking to the people that you, that you end up working with and, you know, testing with them, hey, is this working? Is there anything we could do better? Is, you know, is there any way that we can partner with you better to make sure that your lives are better? And I think that's a growing trend that's happening in Australia and it's not just in the social sector, but it's also in the corporate sector as well. But it's, you know, particularly important in the social sector that, you know, we listen to listen and work with the people that we're, that we're trying to improve their lives. That was Dan Code an associate consultant with Social Ventures Australia, an organisation dedicated to supporting social impact through offering services like consulting and impact investment for the non-profit space. My name is Regan Quick and this is Lantern, a podcast about young people trying to change the world and trying to understand what that actually means. I'll admit that I hadn't heard about Social Ventures Australia until last year when we had a chance to speak to a senior consultant from the organisation at one of the events that my residential college offered. Now during my degree, I've heard whispers of social impact consulting, but traditionally through the context of say, corporate consulting organizations performing pro bono work. So to say that I was excited to learn that there was an organization out there that was fully dedicated to working with large enough for profits for consulting projects was to be perfectly honest, a bit of an understatement. So as soon as we had Lantern off the ground, I made sure that I contacted the speaker from the event and he eventually put me in touch with Dan. Now after a quick stalk of his LinkedIn page, I think I finally began to realise how lucky we would be to be able to speak to Dan. Not only was he under 30 years old, but he had also worked in Tanzania with two social enterprise organisations, he studied an MBA and was now working with SBA on a variety of diverse and interesting clients. Now I think the main thing that I personally took away from speaking to Dan was that you don't need to take the traditional pathway that our degrees often tend towards. As long as you have the passion, you can stake out your own path, pivot when necessary, and ultimately create the impact that you want to see. So I hope you enjoy our talk with Dan as much as we did. Uh, my name is Dan Code. I'm an associate consultant with Social Ventures Australia. Um, I'm really passionate about social impact and specifically, I guess, where the business world and the, the social sector, sort of the nexus of those and how they can work together to create better impact for, for the communities. I guess besides with sort of your experience at university, so did you find you already sort of had this passion while studying at uni or was it something you developed a bit later on? Uh, no, it's certainly something that I think developed when I was at university. I was... I studied commerce at, at Melbourne University, but I guess also during high school, um, was able to get involved with a bit of social, some sort of social justice. And um, I think a particularly formative experience for me was um, in the first year out of out of high school, um, was able to go on a trip to Africa to visit Kenya and South Africa with um, some people from high school who had been um, sort of working together to support some organisations over there. So we're able to go over there and that was a particularly formative experience in sort of, I guess, opening my eyes to, to sort of the disadvantage, not just in Australia, but also, also globally. 
Yeah, I guess yeah. touch, touching on that trip to Africa, because of course um, you did a bit of a stalk here LinkedIn, you said you were eventually working in Tanzania. Yeah. So um, I guess that initial trip uh, to Africa, sort of in the Kenya area, yeah. how was that? Like, can you just give us a yeah. bit more about that? Because it'd be really interesting to hear. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, I think, I mean, growing up in, in Melbourne, it was obviously a huge, I'd actually never been outside of Australia before. So going to, you know, visiting Kenya and also South Africa was a completely eye-opening experience. I think it was, you know, it's it's really humbling and you sort of take for granted how, how a lot of us live here in Australia, obviously recognising that there is a lot of disadvantage still here in Australia. But, you know, I was really sort of excited by that, saw that there was a lot of challenges there, but came back, I guess, to Australia with sort of a, a bit of a glint in my eye that that would be something that I'd like to go back over to, to Africa and particularly to, to East Africa and experience again. And I guess that also drove some of my studies as I continued. I sort of took on some more um, studies in sort of the development, development economics area, um, also with a little bit of, you know, politics and economics there. And probably, you know, probably had a view that once I was done with university, I would take some time and, and, and head back there and test it out as a place to live, but also try and search for some work and see whether I could, could help out in any way. And so I guess sort of more moving on to your work overseas and in Africa yeah. particularly. Um, so I know you touched on this a little bit with your initial trip sort of in that first year, mm-hmm. uh, but why did you, I guess, finally decide to make the trek to actually go over there and work? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, it was sort of a burning desire for me to go over and, and see what work could be done or what work I could do. Um, so I once I'd finished my commerce degree, I took a year off. And part of that was a volunteering experience in Kenya um, with one of the schools that we supported during high school and I'd sort of kept an ongoing relationship with. So I did that for three months and really enjoyed that. You know, I think it's a real learning experience. You know, certainly when you go for two weeks, you have a different view. You're sort of stunned by the whole thing and then you go over for three months, probably a little bit idealistic that, you know, I'm, I'm here and can make a difference. But I learned a lot about what you know, I as, a, as an Australian person could bring and through my experience, particularly at university, what I could bring. Um, so I stayed there for three months and then sort of did a bit more gallivanting around the world, more for f- leisure than, <laughs> more than for leisure than helping people out. But then came back at the end of that trip to um, Tanzania, which is just below Kenya, um, with, the, with the hope that I could try and find some more permanent work um, and was able to do that and was able to find, find a role at RT Energy which is where I continued then to work for two years after that. Uh, before you made that decision, like mm. at the end of your BCom, to yeah. like, maybe do that little volunteering trip, as you said, mm. was there any pressure to follow, like, I guess, what you'd call the traditional commerce pathway? Like, you know, you get your grad role, you slog it out and yeah. hope you make a difference in the long run, but you might not necessarily get there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, I personally probably didn't feel that pressure, but it was certainly something that I considered, I guess, you know, one thing I've continued to, to think about is, you know, how best that sort of tract of, you know, you can develop skills through certainly through the traditional pathways or within, the, say, the corporate sector. And then those skills are certainly applicable in the social sector as well. And they can add a huge amount of value. Um, but I probably wanted to get first get more experience within the social sector, understand that and then you know, found that, you know, wanted to dive in and doing some work. I was particularly excited about working in small organisations as well. So again, that probably traditional track wasn't wasn't where I was looking, um, but was lucky enough to get really valuable experience um, with RT Energy. I had actually, you know, 
if I didn't find end up finding work, I was going to continue on to do a master's of public policy. Um, but then once I found an opportunity, I sort of deferred and never ended up doing that. So. So you mentioned your work with RT Energy. Yeah. What exactly did you do with that organisation? Yeah, sure. So I um, you know, I was sort of really lucky to 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 sort of engage with the owners of the, the, the business. You know, it's a clean energy social enterprise. So they were offering sort of solar solar energy and then also clean cooking stoves that are you know highly efficient um, in the use of charcoal and and wood, which is the traditional um, fuels that are used for cooking over there. And um, I was sort of lucky enough to get involved with the work that I did there. I helped them out on sort of business development and project management. Um, but really, I, I saw my role and I was quite committed to this. And I think this was part of the learning experience for me as well, was that really I think my role was a lot around capacity building. Um, I really wanted to make sure that the Tanzanian staff that I worked with, that I was able to share some of my knowledge. And I guess a, a lot of that knowledge is in part you know, we had a lot of suppliers and, and funders who were from the Western world and just, I guess, understanding the, the differences between those worlds and how to communicate and make sure that not only we were understanding or, you know, RT Energy was understanding what was wanted from our donors, but also how to communicate with the donors and our suppliers to make sure that they understood the Tanzanian context and what had to be done to make sure that it worked in Tanzania. So I worked there for, for two years and was able to work really closely with the team there and, and really enjoyed that and was, it was a really good learning experience for me and I think hopefully for, for the organisation there. And you know, we were able to grow over our time and hopefully make a really important impact. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time training up rural um, renewable energy entrepreneurs. So we tried to make sure, create a sustainable opportunity for people. Um, and that's still an ongoing organisation, so that's really fantastic, I think, yeah. And I guess you touched on that, kind of like that divide, you know, as you said, Western suppliers and donors. Mm. What were some of the issues that you found came up and I guess, how did you address those? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess there's a, you know, there's obviously demands of donors and they come in part from the governments who provide that money, the governments or it might be, might be also from the private sector as well. And I, I guess it was really juggling sort of the reality on the ground with what, what happens and, you know, the need to be nimble and to react and operate as a business, but then also be responsible to the donors and make sure that we were providing the right level of transparency and accountability about how we're using their money or with suppliers helping, you know, to work with them to understand, you know, the demand, the seasonality of demand based on rural areas or just understanding the context, but also, I guess, you know, touch what I touched on before around being able to understand how those relationships work and should work so that they're not sort of transactional, but they're actually a real partnership. Um, so so I, mean that, I think we were able to um, develop that there, but it's still an ongoing issue that happens. And, you know, there's a huge amount of you know, literature and also conjecture about the development sector. And I mean, that's something that's going to continue and still being fleshed out. And um, so you said you were two years with Artie. What sort of um, drove you to move on from the organisation? Did you feel sort of work was done or were there new opportunities on the horizon? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, part of it also was, was personal as well. Um, I mean, living over there or sort of ended up being away from home for, say, three three years. Um, probably, you know, for personal reasons, I wanted to come back to Melbourne and see friends and family and sort of re-engage with, with my Australian family, I guess. Um, but 
you know, also felt that I had really made an impact there. As I said, you know, feel like I built capacity and wanted to make sure that I wasn't taking opportunities from other people. Um, and also, you know, on a sort of more professional learning level for myself, I wanted to make sure that I was continuing to grow as well. So I decided that I wanted to do my MBA, so Masters of Business Administration here at Melbourne Uni. And part of that was probably understanding that I had now had this experience in sort of the, the social sector, particularly with a smaller organisation, and thought that maybe uh, MBA would be able to provide me with some of that more corporate experience. I guess, you know, hoping to get some of that knowledge which I could have got from that traditional path um, of graduating from commerce. Um, so that was another attraction for me to come back to Melbourne. And when you actually did your MBA, did you find there were many other people um, in that program who also had that social impact focus or were you definitely in the minority in that case? Um, yeah, I was probably in the minority. I mean, I, I was certainly, um, I think I was happily surprised at, you know, I sort of had this idea that I'd gone into an MBA and it would all be profit, profit, profit and don't worry about any, any beneficiaries or stakeholders. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, particularly our generation, that's changing, that outlook on the world. And I, I, I think that, you know, that was reflected in the class as well. I was probably the, you know, I was probably certainly a minority in wanting to pursue a career immediately in the social sector. Um, but certainly people saw that, you know, something down the track or in conjunction with what they were going to continue to do, they wanted to be involved in the social sector and was lucky enough to be able to, you know, they have subjects around social entrepreneurship um, and was able to be involved with those activities. And that was open to everyone and everyone was able to engage with that. So there are were certainly opportunities there, which was fantastic. Are there any other opportunities that you pursued in conjunction with your degree, or your MBA, sorry? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, so I, um, so I did, um, I was worked with the Net Impact Society, which is actually a global, um, a global network that operate across graduate schools, but also I think undergraduate schools as well. And that's sort of focused again around the social impact sector. Um, and we have, you know, there was a, um, a group there at, at Melbourne Business School. So we were able to put on events largely around building awareness of, you know, corporate social responsibility issues, sustainability, um, renewable energy. We tried to tailor it to the focus of the, the cohort of students who were there to make sure that they were getting something out of it and we weren't sort of pushing a message that people wouldn't be engaged with. So that was also a really good outlet. Um, and I was also able to get involved with Social Ventures Australia through an internship. So they had an internship arrangement with Melbourne Business School. Um, so that was a really fantastic opportunity. So I did a three month internship with them, which was, you know, really opened my eyes to the social sector in, in Australia because I previously hadn't really had any experience here. After your MBA, um did you continue on working with Social Ventures Australia or, or did you do something in between? I finished up um, the internship with Social Ventures. It sort of coincided with finish, finishing my MBA. Um, and throughout the MBA, I had the idea that I would actually like to return to Tanzania with sort of this, these newfound skills that I have um, to again sort of work in, in the Tanzanian space. So I had sort of been able to build my network while I was there and felt I'd been able to build an understanding of the Tanzanian context to be more, more relevant and I think impactful over there. So I was lucky enough to, to work with the Bongo, which is an edutainment company. So they make um, cartoons for um, children over in, in Africa for Africans, made in Africa for Africa. So that was a really fantastic experience. I was able to help them out to um, build their strategy, um, but then also um, help with their marketing as well. 
they were sort of looking at we've got a fantastic product um, but how do we continue to be sustainable to make sure that we can continue to produce those products so I worked with them for about um, five or six months doing consulting work um, and then decided that it was time that I returned to Australia so um, again that was sort of in part for personal reasons as well you know my partner and I decided that we wanted to probably live longer term back here in Australia um, but also, you know, with the professional opportunities I had, I'd been able to build a, a great relationship with SVA and was able to, to seize on the opportunity to continue to work with them, um, knowing that that would be a great experience for me and also the opportunity to be really impactful in, in my work. Cool. Fantastic. Yeah. And I guess coming back for that second time, um, mm. how do you feel was different? Was it less of a shock? Did you feel like you were so much more in tune with the space with the skills from your MBA or was it more just very similar to when you first came over? Yeah, I mean, I think the experience of the MBA was was fantastic in that I I was able to, when I was doing my, doing my studies, was actually able to apply or see how I could apply a lot of what I was learning. And so I really came back to Tanzania with what I thought was a far better understanding of how I could improve, help to develop the businesses that I was working with. Um, but also with that, I still felt like I had a good understanding of the culture and, and Tanzania and how it operated. Um, so, I, so I feel like I was able to be certainly be more impactful in my work that I was doing with the Bongo than I previously had been with, with Arti, which was fantastic. And that's sort of the goal that I wanted to get, into, get out of it. You know, I intended to stay there for longer, but again, as, you know, as I mentioned before, the professional and personal opportunities back here in Australia were, um, you know, were, were pretty important. And I guess, you know, if you do want to continue to do that capacity building, you really have to commit to be there for a long time. And I guess I wasn't ready to do that if my, if my heart wasn't in it and I didn't feel like I could continue to add that value. So it was probably a really important, difficult but important decision that I, that I turned. And I guess speaking more to the development side of the work you did hmm. in the sphere of education um, specifically, what were some of the issues you felt were faced in the Tanzanian context um, in regards to education? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, access to education is, is a really huge thing. Again, take it for granted that we all are able to go to schools and able to go to schools that function properly and with class sizes of 20 or 30 people as compared to, you know, 60 or 100. Um, and I guess just the, you know, the, the general sort of social infrastructure as well around education, the ability that we're really immersed in, in educational experiences and materials. Um, so that's part of the work that Obongo was trying to do is that, you know, they don't have a Sesame Street on TV or a play school on TV where you actually learn a lot of these things that are really foundational to your educational experience. So what they were able to do with Bongo and making that it was, since it was um, made for African kids, it was, really, um, it was really effective in engaging kids and providing them with those opportunities to learn outside of school where potentially they weren't getting the sort of the experiences that they should have. And what was sort of the business model that Ubongo used? Like, how were they distributing this edutainment content? Yeah, so they had partnerships with with TV channels over there, so with the Tanzanian Broadcasting uh, Corporation, similar to the ABC here in Australia. Um, so they were able to broadcast it on free-to-air, and we're getting, you know, 1.5 million people, households watching every every week, um, which, was, which is really great that that's available. The other thing they also did was created a radio show as well, the radio penetration rate is far higher there than, than it is with TV. So that was making sure that, again, that it was accessible to as many people as possible so that it could have the impact that it, that it could. They also received funding from, um, from external donors as well. 
And part of what I was looking at was, okay, to make sure that we continue to be a sustainable business, are there other revenue streams that could help help fund us as well? You know, um, could we create products for consumers based upon the characters in the show? Were there opportunities to continue to work work more deeply with schools to provide more educational materials? So part of the work that I was able to do was to explore those opportunities for them. Okay, actually, I think it's an interesting thing I would like just to touch mm-hmm. on more broadly, because uh, of course, some, a lot of these ideas that you see in the social enterprise space or non-for-profit space, like they might be amazing ideas, but I think a lot of the issues organisations face is the um, funding and the sustainability mm-hmm. of it all. Yeah. So I guess a bit of a sidestep to what you do in Tanzania, but like more broadly speaking, what are some of the ways you think businesses can tackle that issue or is it too big of a thing to summarize because that's a bit of a tricky question yeah, yeah. but no no it's a i mean it's a super it's a super pertinent question but it's also it is is really difficult i mean if it was if it was that easy someone probably would have solved it yeah exactly. um but you know there's certainly you know at least in a particularly in australia there's there is a growing ecosystem that's supporting a lot of social enterprises i mean as it gets more you know, as it becomes more popular, there's more opportunities for funding through impact investing, but also philanthropy as well. Um, and then I guess part of it is, you know, is sort of understanding the opportunities that are out there. Obviously, you're trying to make an impact, but then also what's the, that, you know, when you're developing this idea, is it also sustainable? Um, and I guess that's part of the, you know, the challenge that I really enjoy about social enterprises and, and nonprofits as well now. I mean, they're increasingly having pressures to become more sustainable and less reliant on donor funding. It's not just sort of social enterprises, but I guess managing the idea of creating social impact, but also being sustainable financially, that's a really interesting, you know, intellectual challenge. And as I said, you know, no one solved the problem, Um, but there's some, you know, really interesting examples out there of people who are doing fantastic stuff. Um, So that's that's part of what's really engaging about, you know, working in social, at Social Ventures Australia, but also, you know, in the social impact sector, I think, as well. And so of course, we mentioned Social Ventures Australia quite a fair bit. I think it's yeah. about time we discuss the organisation sure. in a lot more detail. So um, I guess from the top, uh, yeah, what's yeah. Social Ventures all about? Yeah, so, so Social Ventures Australia is a non-profit um, that operates um, across Australia. And so they have three, three arms, we could say. So one arm which I'm involved in is the consulting arm that provides advice to non-profits, governments, social enterprise. Then there's also the impact investing side, which I touched on. They provide funding to, to social enterprises or enterprises that are involved in creating a social impact. And then there's also the venture philanthropy side. So that's where they provide funding to both external ventures, but also some internal ventures, which social ventures, I guess, incubates. Um, where they see that there's a need for that to be to be incubated, so really works as a bit of an organisation that is you know has its fingers in a lot of pies, but that's actually really beneficial in developing a lot of the learnings, developing a lot of the networks which are critical to make these things happen. Particularly in you know we're just continuing to be a, a fledgling, particularly in the social enterprise sector, is really a fledgling sector that's growing. It's really important to be able to have. A, you know, an organisation like SVA that, um, you know, provides both advice and, and funding and then also, you know, helping to improve how people fund these enterprises. Do you have any examples of the kind of organisations that you work with yeah. in SVA? Yeah, so we work, um, you know, we generally work across what we call four practice areas. So we work in employment, education, 
housing and first Australians. So within that, we do work with governments. So we work with you know the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, and that's particularly involved with First Australians and, and Indigenous Affairs. We do a lot of work as well with, with social purpose organisations or, or non, non-profits as traditionally um, been called. So we do work with, um, you know, sort of the large, the large charities, I guess, that you would have heard of, but also with some smaller social enterprises as well. And I guess some of those, um, you know, internal ventures as well that have a really... Sh- you know, significant impact in also innovation within the sector. So, um, so it's really important that we do have that approach that c- there is collaboration across both the consulting, impact investing, and venture philanthropy. And is your background typical for people who are working at SVA, or are you a bit of an anomaly in the organisation? Um, there's a, there's a fair mix across the across the organisation. So there's people that have um, you know traditional corporate sector experience, particularly experience with management consulting to the corporate sector, but then also people who have experience experience within government, working with some of those organisations or governmental departments that we work with as well, particularly on the in the consulting side. And then also people, you know, within education who are teachers or who are principals or, you know, people within employment who are working to help improve you know, the employment outcomes of people. So it really is a diverse bunch of people, which is sort of one of the fantastic things that you can learn from all the people who work there. And how big are the team, the team at SBA? Is it quite a small organisation or...? No, we're about 80 people now, so oh, wow. it's quite so it's quite large. Um, we have offices across Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne and Perth um, and do a lot of work really across across all Australia, you know, particularly with the First Australians work. That takes us to a lot of remote areas, but then also, you know, in the city, in the city as well and really focus wherever there is disadvantage. Mm. Another thing I'm curious about um, is sort of how SBA like funds itself. So, are you charging these and uh, not-for-profits and social enterprises for your consulting services? Like, I'm just trying to work out yeah. how it's working. Yeah, no, we certainly, we certainly, um, we certainly charge them for our consulting services. So, in part, where you know we also receive funding from philanthropists and and other donors, but we also generate revenue, particularly particularly from our consulting arm but also as well from, you know, impact investing, from the returns that we create. Uh, so, you know, we do charge. Again, one of the benefits probably of being a non-profit is that, you know, we're able, we don't need to create that profit, um, that profit component of, of the services that we provide. But, you know, we, we make sure that we provide, we don't want to, we make, want to make sure that we provide services that are really high quality as well and are really competitive with, the other consult, you know, for-profit consulting firms out there, or the that you know, we're making sure that we're providing, you know, the advice that these organisations need. You know, as I mentioned, you know, working within the social impact sector means that you're trying to juggle often social impact and financial sustainability, and that can be a really difficult problem to solve. So you need to be able to really think about it and make sure that you're giving solutions that are really applicable, not sort of plucking things out of, the, out of the air. And especially since non-for-profits can be quite strict around their funding and how they spend donors' funds. Um, do you ever have any issues with, when working with them to sort of justify like the services you provide or the fees to donors that kind of makes sense? Or? Yeah, I mean, normally, you know, the, the organisations will often approach us, but we'll also approach them. Mm-hmm. And they'll have a budget in mind and understand, you know, what, what would be involved with this piece of work. And we'll provide them you know, we'll provide them with, you know, an appropriate budget based on what we think happens with the work and, you know, negotiate with them if, 
if that doesn't suit them and they can you know change the what the solution that we provide to them some organizations will also particularly small organizations might get a grant to be provided you know strategic planning advice or within outcomes measurement um, making sure that they you know an evaluation that might be funded to help them get more funding or become more sustainable in the future are there any particular projects that you worked on and you felt like really connected to or really proud of yeah yeah so um you know, sort of just finishing finishing up a project with um, Lifeline, which is the um, suicide crisis tech crisis line, and so been working with them to help develop a um, a tech service. So um, you know, they have their currently have their phone line um, and also web chat, but now you know a lot of people communicate with text. So being able to provide um, you know modes of communication that are really relevant to people. That's been a really interesting project, but also something I think will be really impactful and hopefully, hopefully save lives. Um, so that's been you know, a fantastic piece of work there. And you mentioned before, when I sort of spoke about the background of people working in SVA, um, so a lot of them, as you said, were previously like corporate consulting, management consulting. Um, what, I'm not sure if you know this at all, but what made them jump to SVA? If you, I'm sure you may have spoken to a few colleagues yeah. and worked out their journey. What, yeah. was, what was the factor, I guess, that pushed them? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, you know, it's obviously different different for different people, but I think, you know, a common thread is people have had this experience, you know, in the corporate sector sometimes for quite a long period. Um, and, you know, they would like the opportunity to, you know, give back to society, I guess, or or be involved with with the social sector. And I guess the, the intrinsic reward that comes with that of feeling you're, like you're making a positive impact on, on organizations and then hopefully on the, the end beneficiaries that they serve. So I think, you know, I know that a lot of people who end up making that switch sort of say they've found their place or they've found their home because it really is that nexus of, you know, working hard and, and being intellectually challenged, which is something which I think a lot of us really value, but then also having an impact and feeling that what you're doing has a real purpose. Um, so I think that's you know a great opportunity that social ventures provides, but then also gives access to the, that experience and the skills that those people have to nonprofit organisations and government where they can be really impactful. And I guess from your MBA experience, I guess you would have seen how a lot of problems are solved in like that for-profit space with consulting. Mm. Has that framework or that model changed when you work for non-for-profits, or is it largely the same? Oh look, I mean, I think. In terms of a lot of what we learned, you know, in the MBA is, which is then applicable to consulting is how to approach a problem. And, you know, again, with the problems that you face, it's a lot around structuring how you think about the problems. Um, so I think, again, you know, you're focusing on those two sides of the problem, the social impact and the financial side in a lot of cases. So a lot of those things were applicable, but then also particularly a lot of the value that I've found and comes from that understanding of the contexts which are really critical and the complex interactions within the systems that they operate in. And I guess that's a lot of where sort of the institutional knowledge of, of Social Ventures Australia and the experience of the team that you work with is really helpful. But then also, you know, being humble and listening to the organisations that you're working with as well is, is really important. You're never going to understand their business better than they are when you're a consultant, I think. So listening to what they have to say having time to think about the problem is sort of the real benefit that we have as consultants. So being able to think about the problem and then talk to them and say, hey, this is what we think might be the solution. What do you guys think? And they might provide you with some more nuance or complexity that you don't 
you, that you don't know, mm -hmm. and then you can help refine the solution with them to make sure that it really does fit what they are after. And I guess like with any sort of social, uh, sorry, engagement with these organisations, is there a lot of resistance to change that you found in these not-for-profit spaces, or are they quite good compared to any other organisation? Yeah, I mean, sort of, I guess without having, you know, experience consulting in the, in the corporate sector, um, you know, I think in all organisations there's going to be some resistance to change. Um, I guess it's a lot around understanding what the incentives are for people who are working with organisations to implement the changes that you might be um, wanting to wanting to propose. So, again, that comes back to you know what are the what are these organisations created for, and they, you know, all created to have a positive impact upon you know their the end beneficiaries that they're working with. So, making sure that the solutions that we provide help them to achieve that is the most important thing and then I guess it's selling them that that will actually happen whether that's indirectly by making them more financially sustainable or directly by having a, a greater impact and providing them with you know opportunities to achieve what they want to achieve. And another thing I want to touch on um, sort of on the impact investing space I know you said you're more on the consulting but can you mm -hmm. ask a little bit more about the work uh, that impact investing has particularly for non-for-profits and social enterprises in the industry? Yeah. yeah, sure. So I guess how impact investing works is, you know, an, a firm such as, you know, SVA will raise a fund, you know, very similar to, to, venture, to venture capital funding. So they'll raise a fund of, you know, let's say a million dollars. They'll raise that money and then they'll raise that from, it might be private investors, it might be from philanthropic organisations. Um, they'll raise that fund and then go and search out for ventures which they can invest in um, that will provide, that are both having a social impact but also be able to provide a financial return to the investors. So part of the work that they do is, you know, on the one side, making sure that they're able to gather enough funds to distribute to the ventures they want to work with, but also identifying ventures that are, you know, in need of that funding and with that funding can be impactful, but then also... Um, create that financial return. So it's really interesting work and then it's, you know, the work doesn't end in just identifying, it's also working with those organisations to provide, you know, advice as well based on the experience that that impact investing team has to make sure that they're running their organisation well. So it's a little bit of, you know, a little bit of consulting but also that financial side as well. And when you say return, um, are those typically like, say, dollar figure returns or, you, or was that more in the sense of um, social impact in the community or was it a bit of both? Well, I, I guess the idea with impact investing is that you create both. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's often quite easy to measure the financial return um, and that's something that is, you know, that's part of the reason why the funders get involved is that they want to be able to achieve, you know, financial returns. Mm -hmm. But it's imperative that they're creating some social impact as well. I mean, again, whether that that's a lot harder to measure. Um, so a lot of you know a lot of the work is making sure that that is a a really you know sustainable and effective model for creating social impact, um, and making sure that those are balanced again is really difficult. And a lot of work that we also do at Social Ventures is trying to you know build understanding within the sector about how we can measure this social impact. Um, a lot of work around what's called outcomes management and outcomes measurement to try and understand, you know, there's no perfect science to it, but at least try and understand how is what you're doing creating impact for the end beneficiaries and how impactful is it, is it being? And do you think impact investing itself as a concept 
is something that can maybe replace philanthropy more generally, or do you feel like it's something that should augment what philanthropy has traditionally done in the past? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, personally, again, this is probably isn't my area of expertise, but I think, you know, at least observing the work that SVA does, but also the sector more generally, you know, I think that impact, invest, impact investing can play a role, but I think there's always going to be a role for, for philanthropy and, and sort of the traditional, not you know, traditional donor model, or at least being able to provide funding for ventures, which they might not be able to create a financial return now or within the, the time span or the time frame which investors would want, but they need that runway to at least get started um, before that return can come in. I mean, again, it's, if, you, if you go can compare that to the, um, to the corporate sector with startups, there's you know different levels of funding that happen within that, and and seed funding, which is sort of the earliest round of funding, that's you know when a lot of startups you, you know you take a bit of a risk, you're not necessarily expecting a return, but a startup can't get off the ground without that, and so there's social enterprises that have to do that, you know, and I think philanthropy will still play a role, particularly in you know more traditional organisations where a financial return is not is not possible, and and it's just not the best way, the best model. Um, to create impact, which is ultimately what these organisations want to do. And I guess I probably should wind it back more to the consulting wing because, of course, yeah. that's where the space you're working in at the moment. Yeah. Um, I just had a question sort of around, yes, yeah, sort of for the smaller non-for-profits or social enterprises, where do they fit into the work of SVA? Like, is there any yeah. pro bono options or is it more only the big guys you can um, sustainably target at the moment? Yeah, so traditionally we've worked... Um, mainly with larger organizations and government and in part that's that's both um, sort of a financial decision because a lot of these small organizations don't have the money required to actually pay for our services but also in part of thinking about what impact we can have as an organization um, and part of that is working with large organizations who can really have um, an important impact on um, shaping the system and how and, and you know how these complex systems operate to make sure that they are being impactful for the for the beneficiaries. So, um, as I mentioned, you know some smaller organisations will receive grants and they can come and work with us. You know, and will and will work with us. But I guess part of you know that venture philanthropy arm that I mentioned before is that's also where we can help to work with some of those smaller, innovative, um, and and also in impact investing. Um, some of those innovative enterprises that are trying new things that yes can't afford consulting services but we can pro potentially provide them with some of that funding and also some of that advice on how they can scale up um, and you know hopefully have sort of a transformative effect on 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 the people that they work with um, you know there are a lot of other organizations outside of SVA who are providing consulting advice both to large organizations but also to smaller organizations you know, organisations like social traders work a lot with smaller um, social entrepreneurs. Um, you know, I think the different the difference incubators also, you know, a more recent organisation that works with, you know, similar small, smaller social social entrepreneurs. So it's, it's you know, it's less about probably being a one-size-fits-all organisation, but probably building up that ecosystem so that, you know, organisations at all levels can be, can be, um, you know, provided appropriate advice. And I remember you mentioning that um, Social Ventures Australia itself targets a number of sort of key issues, such as education, mm -hmm. uh, Indigenous Australian rights. 
Well, do you have a particular area that you work more specifically or you sort of engage around all those issues you are, the organisation targets? Yeah, so um, at the moment I'm more around all the uh, issues that, the, that we work with in, in consulting. Part of what, what can happen is that you end up specialising in, in certain areas. So you might you know, end up doing a lot of your work with the First Australians practice or you might do that with education. But that's sort of part of the, the I guess the fun of, I find of working at SVA is being able to work with the different organisations, learning about the issues, learning about those organisations and being exposed to a lot of those um, and then potentially down the track specialising um, into, those, into those areas. Do you have any leanings at the moment where you might end up or is it still trying to get no. a taste of it all? No, it's still, it's still a bit early doors. I've done you know, work within mental health as well um, and disability, which are two other areas that we work in um, significantly. Um, and have really enjoyed those, but yeah, I'm still looking at some of those other opportunities um, because it's something I definitely want to be exposed to before before specialising. But I mean, it is important to eventually specialise as well. I think because you are able to build up a lot of knowledge around. You know, again, you can't become an expert in in a couple of months of working with an organisation. So it takes years to develop that knowledge and really to be able to provide important value to the to your clients and and the organisations that we work with. So eventually yeah it would be something i would want to do specializing what i find really interesting about sort of your whole journey is that um you sort of working in tanzania and you were working on development there and now in australia you're working on development in sort of a different way mm. what have you taken from your experiences in tanzania and sort of been able to implement yeah. in sva yeah i mean i th- i think that there is a lot that i learned i think you know part of it was just working on the ground with an organization you know, trying to implement change and, and, and trying to have an impact and just seeing how these organisations operate. I know that that has been something that's been, you know, beneficial in the work that I'm doing in supporting these organisations back here in Australia. Um, and I mean, I think the thing that I've, you know, really learned over in Tanzania was listening to the people that you're working with. Um, and I think that's, you know, again, something that we can continue to do more is in Australia, certainly, you know, everywhere is continue to listen to our end beneficiaries and really partner with them to make sure that we're creating the impact that we want to. I mean, it's quite, you know, it's quite easy to sit in an office and think that you're having a really fantastic impact, but it's really about talking to the people that you, that you end up working with and, you know, testing with them, hey, is this working? Is there anything we could do better? Is, you know, is there any way that we can partner with you better to make sure that your lives are better? And I think that's a growing trend that's happening in Australia and it's not just in the social sector, but it's also in the corporate sector as well. But it's, you know, particularly important in the social sector that, you know, we listen to the, listen and work with the people that we're, that we're trying to improve their lives. And um, like some of, some of your clients, is it more sort of one-off engagements or do you have examples of clients coming back with different problems or trying to improve solutions that you guys may have implemented in the past or is it sort of like a one-off no, yeah, so we try and, you know, as much as possible, you know, we like to continue to work with people, again, because we have a good understanding of their, um, a good understanding of their businesses, and that's, you know, that's particularly important in providing value to them. So, yeah, we have, we, we have a lot of examples where we've worked with organisations across a number of projects, and that's, you know, really fantastic. You know, with, for example, with the Lifeline example I provided, we worked on a smaller project with them, and they thought that we provided a lot of value to them, which was great. Um, and then we were able to move into this larger project and continue to work with them for two or three phases of it. So across about six months, 
which was great. Um, because again, the more time you spend with them, the better relationships you have just with the per people that you work with on their side and the more trust that you can build, which is really important when you are partnering with the organizations like those. And um, I think this is a question that comes up in like pretty much every single one of our interviews, but I would love to get your thoughts on it. So we always see, I think at least recently we've noticed there's a bit of a clash between, you know, what's better, you know, social enterprise is the model superior or is there still room for classic charity models and non-for-profits? So it'd be interesting to get your perspective. Do you see there's um, one model that works particularly better or do you feel like it needs to be a combination of both or that society needs both to operate effectively? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, having worked in social enterprises, worked in non-profits and, and still working in a non-profit at the moment, I think there's... You know, I, I think that there's certainly room for both. I mean, it's sort of even difficult to define what social enterprises are like. I think the idea of becoming more sustainable and potentially less reliant on donor funding, that's something that's probably becoming more common just because of the realities of a lot of that funding's uncertain. So whether you're a non-profit or a social enterprise, you need to make sure that what you're doing is you know, potentially creating revenue so you're not reliant on an uncertain funding source. Um, I don't think, certainly at this stage, one is better than others. I mean, social enterprise is a fantastic concept, but um, and, and there's certainly a lot of people doing fantastic work out there, but certainly not to the scale that a lot of large-scale non-profits are doing and the, the number of people that they work with. So that model is, you know... Certainly, you know, both models have their, their flaws and, and their benefits, but I, I think that's why there's a, there's a space for both. But I think there is that growing trend of people recognising that there is, you know, benefit in the social enterprise idea and, and this idea of being more sustainable. And that's something that non-profits are looking at both in part because it's a necessity for them. You know, government might be providing them less funding or there might be less philanthropy out there. There might be more competition for that funding. So you need to be able to diversify how you're funded and, and be able to provide a, um, you know, a financial return so that you can then invest in having a better impact. And I think we are sort of heading towards the end of the interview. So I've probably got um, just one more question sort of around um, how people can get involved with social impact more broadly. So what's mm. some advice you would say to maybe someone who's just about to graduate their BCom? How would you best advise them on making the most impact possible in their life. Now, it's quite vague, so take wherever you <laughs> yeah, wish sure. it to go. But, yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, I mean, I wish I had the, I wish I had the answer. But, mm. um, I mean, I think it's, you know, throwing yourselves um, into, into opportunities. Um, and, I mean, that's where a lot of, you know, I, I've certainly been really lucky in being given the opportunities that I have. And I think it's about, you know, throwing yourselves into opportunities, even if you don't see that this is, sort of down a path that I want to go into. But if someone says, hey, do you want to, you know, come out and, and work at a soup van or do you want to come and work at this organisation, there's opportunities that will come from that. And I think, you know, being really open to learning as well is, is, a, fanta is a fantastic thing. So, again, whether that's with volunteering or whether that's in work with the social, with, sorry, in the corporate sector where you can learn a lot of skills that might be applicable down the track. I don't think there's one sort of, right way to do it um, I think you, you know you sort of have to listen to what you want to do you have to love what you're doing I wouldn't be you know I don't think it's right to sort of go down the social sector route because you think it's the right thing to do but it's not actually something you, you really love doing because I think you should just be passionate about what you like to do and hopefully that those two marry up 
And it doesn't ask a lot of a question we'd like to end on as well. Are there any sort of books, films, media in general that you sort of engage with that's helped you out? Like anything that you'd recommend to young people listening to the show? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I mean, I guess, you know, reading in general, it might not be about specifically, um, you know, a development issue or a social a book about the social sector. But I think you know, just understanding as much as you can how, try and understand how the world works. So now I read, you know, reading the paper, even Twitter, I find, you know, just following people on Twitter who are engaging, listening to podcasts where people just talk about their experience or what their work, the work they're doing, you know, the things that I've learned that aren't from any, anything related to the work I'm currently doing now. But, you know, I think just being inquisitive is, is really important. I can't, off the top of my head, can't really name books that have been really influential. I know um, one that, you know, I at least at the time was really formative for me was um, a book called Poor Economics, which was a lot about, um, it was sort of a mix of behavioural economics, but also in the development context and around randomised control trials. Um, coming from an economics background, that was really exciting, but then also the development side as well, that was something that was fantastic. Cool, amazing. Now, I know we've touched on heaps, but is there anything else you felt like we missed out on or anything else you'd like to add to the podcast before we wrap up? Or No, not really. No, I think like, you know, as I said, I think, you know, I'd encourage any listener just to get involved and, 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 you know, follow what your passion is if it's, you know, whether in the corporate sector, but you see that there's change that can happen there or in the social sector. I think it's important just to throw yourself into what you're doing and, and, you know, take opportunities while you can. Awesome. Well, cool. Thank you so much for your time, Dan. I really appreciate you coming down. No worries. Thank you so much for listening to our 10th episode from Lantern. And once again, that was Dan Code. If you're interested in finding out more about Dan's work with Social Ventures Australia or how the organisation runs more broadly, then please be sure to visit their website at socialventures.com.au. If you did enjoy the show then please leave us a review on itunes because it really does help us grow and get these amazing people's stories out to the rest of the world now if you can't wait for more episode 11 will be live across all our channels in two weeks time on sunday so that's soundcloud itunes stitcher or wherever else you get your podcast content and you can also keep up to date on all our content that we're pushing out on our social media so that's facebook twitter and instagram all under the handle of Project Lantern underscore, all one word. Or of course, you can see our website, projectlantern.com.au. If you have any feedback for us or want to reach out and just say hi, you can contact us at any time on social media or via email at hello at projectlantern.com.au. And again, we're so happy to have you on this journey in creating a global launchpad for youth-led social impact. Until next time, stay awesome.